Welcome to the Pro-Life Team podcast. I'm Victor with iRapture. We're here today with Alan, uh, the president of uh, the Justice Foundation. Uh, please introduce yourself to all the uh, pregnancy centers, executive directors out there. And well, thank you. People. I'll tell you the way I do it if I'm at a conference yeah. or something. I say, do you have, ever work with forced abortions? That's what I do, because one of our big projects is the Center Against Forced Abortion. Forced abortion is illegal in all 50 states in America, mm -hmm. but it's not very well known. And we've developed an incredible set of legal tools, just written letters that explain the law and save lives. Everyone, uh, every center and every individual in America can stop forced abortions with these tools. Mm. So um, tell me, Alan, how did the, the Justice Foundation start? What was kind of the origin of that? Well, that's an interesting story. It was way back in the year, uh, well, actually, the Justice Foundation started in 1993, mm -hmm. and we began to litigate for school choice mm -hmm. for low-income children. And by that, I mean we believe that in child-centered funding, mm -hmm. where the share of public education dollars that's intended for each child should follow the child to the school of the parent's choice. And I believed it was very important in 1993 when we started, and it's even more important today. But we litigated for school choice. We got a Texas Supreme Court decision saying that that was possible for the legislature to do. The government money doesn't have to go just to government schools with government employees. And Texas created a new kind of school called a charter school mm -hmm. that is run by nonprofits with non-government employees, has a little bit more flexibility, mm -hmm. But the only way they get money is if the parents voluntarily put their child in that school because they think that school will do a good job and then the school gets their share of the state dollars for that child. And that's charter schools and it's school choice and it's freedom. And uh, mm -hmm. we're working today actually to get Christian schools included in that yeah. mix. Uh, right now in Texas, they don't get any and it's not for the schools to get the money. No school should be funded just because they exist. Every school, government, non-government, should only exist if they can voluntarily attract enough people mm -hmm. to put their precious children in those hands right. and do a good job at it. Right. In Texas, for example, Fort Worth ISD yep. has said that they're systematically racist. Hmm. And 87% of the black children in third grade could not read on grade level. Mm. After being in the school for three years, we've spent massive amounts of money and the school is failing black children. Mm. But what was their remedy? Spend million more dollar training themselves not to be racist. Mm. And it's just crazy. Whereas there are schools set up for black children that spend less money and are more effective at teaching children to read. And if you can read and you have curiosity, which most humans do, yeah. and if you're taught in school to enjoy learning, you'll go well, do well. So I'm that now mm -hmm. you are probably thinking, how do we get in the pro-life movement? But from 93 yeah. to 2000, we were just limited government, free market, private property and mm -hmm. parental rights. Right. So school choice is a parental rights issue. OK. And in the year 2000, okay we actually began to have the chance to represent Norma McCorvey, who was Roe of Roe v. Wade, and Sandra Kano, who was the Doe of Doe v. Bolton. Mm -hmm. And those two cases, Roe and Doe, 
are the two cases that brought abortion on demand to America. And abortion is a parental rights issue because abortion is terminating yeah. the parent relationship with her child. And otherwise, that relationship, parental rights are protected by law. Since 1923, the Supreme Court has says the right of parents to direct the upbringing and education of their children is fundamental. So, but Norma and Sandra, Roe and Doe, wanted to reverse their own cases. So they asked us to represent them to go back to the Supreme Court and say, please, we made a mistake. America's made a mistake. Abortion hurts women. And would you please reverse our own cases? And so that's when I began in the year 2000, what you might call more direct pro-life work. Yeah. And in order to take them back and convince the court to reverse Roe v. Wade, I was praying and everything, and I went to my first March for Life in the year 2000. And on the way back, when I was in the Dallas airport, the idea just hit me. There are two great lies about abortion. At, at that time, this is what I felt. One is, it's not a baby. The other is, I felt, it's good for women. Mm -hmm. And at that point, this was the year 2000, the pro-life movement had been saying for a long time, this is a baby, this yeah. is human, we need to save the babies. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't convincing everybody in America mm -hmm. that yeah. we should stop it, that's not enough. And I said, the other baby, the other lie is that it's good for women. And I thought, well, how do we prove that? And the idea was that women who had abortions would know it's not good for women. And so we began to say, let's collect testimonies of women. And let me say that, that was a major change from being a conservative school choice organization yeah. to a pro-life organization trying to overturn yeah. Roe v. Wade. So after I got that idea in the airport, you know, sometimes you just better ask yourself, Lord, is this really you? And that's what I prayed for about 30 days. Lord, is this really you? Is this just my idea? And I really told the Lord, Lord, nobody can break through the stronghold of abortion. I mm -hmm. said, Lord, I can't do this. It's not like smart lawyers haven't tried. And it's not like there's a silver bullet. Oh, once we prove this one thing, it's a spiritual battle. Uh, but I said, you want us to do this? Mm -hmm. And we pray, and will we win? That's the other thing I said, if I'm going to change, I don't usually ask that when I pray. I just, what do you want me to do, Lord? That's yeah. the best prayer. But I did. So after about 30 days on February 11th, 2000, I remember the very yeah. day, Sandra Kano called us. Now, she's the Doe of Dovey Bolton, which created the health exception, saying that if a woman needed abortion for her health, then she could have it. Just her and her doctor would decide. And even that sounds great. Well, who would want to protect women's health? But it included psychology, and psychology includes your happiness. So if a woman says, well, I just wouldn't be happy having a baby, bango, her health is involved, she gets the abortion. That's Roe v. That's Dovey Bolton, the less well-known case. And but you know what she told me? This is amazing. She said they were forcing me to have an abortion. She did not want an abortion. She never wanted an abortion. There was fraud on the court in her d decision, and they said they packed her bags and said we're going to get you an abortion tomorrow. At that time, Georgia had therapeutic abortions if three judges said you could get one. So they'd gotten three judges, 
and they packed her suitcase. She took her suitcase and fled to Oklahoma to be with a, another relative. And it wasn't until they said, okay, come back, we won't make you get an abortion, that she did that. But the state never knew this. She was known as Jane Doe. There was no discovery in the case. And Sandra has now gone to be with the Lord, but she, she said there's recorded testimony at the Supreme Court. Well, what does it matter if she's real or not? Because the state of Georgia said, we don't even know if this woman's real. And they just said, well, we'll just assume for the sake of this trial that she's real. And Sandra always used to say, I am real. It mm. does matter. And when I called her and, and when she called us, I responded, I called her back and she said, Mr. Parker, that case has been a doom on my shoulders since the moment I got involved. She'd gone to legal aid to get one of her children that had been taken away by Child Protective Services. Mm. She was low income, very low educated. She had difficulty with her children, but she never wanted to kill her children my whole life. <clears throat> so that night I came home and my wife said, I've got a little book for you called The Bed's Too Short and Other Spiritual mm -hmm. Essays. And I'd been praying 30 days and, and she'd been praying. And she said, I think this book's for you. And the book said, it was based on Isaiah 28, the bed's too short and the covers are too cramped. And uh, that's kind of a strange thing. Yeah. But it said, if you get this book, you better go with God and you're going to grow your ministry. And if not, you'll be too cramped. And I said, oh, okay, God, maybe you're telling me go national with Roe v. Wade. But the next morning, being a cautious lawyer, I got up and wanted to read the scripture. And it starts, I wasn't looking for this passage. Yeah. It starts Isaiah 28:14, And I mentioned in this because it's history, but also for people listening to pray for the end of abortion and pray with faith and along these lines that's in this scripture I'm about to share. Mm -hmm. It says, so I go back for a little context, 28, 14. Mm -hmm. Thus says the Lord to the mocking judges who rule my people in Jerusalem. So right there, I think, wow. Some verses say judges, some say rulers, but God's talking to the ruling class. And he says, behold, you've made a covenant with death. You've made an agreement with the grave. You don't think the overwhelming scourge will reach you because you've covered yourself with fraud and deception. That's the end of the quote. And I just kind of got goosebumps. Roe v. Wade is a covenant with death, an agreement with the grave, entered into by the highest court of our land. It's like saying, open wide, O grave, here come 60 million people who will never see the light of day. And they have authority to speak on behalf of our country. And uh, hmm. it just amazed me and shocked me. Later I found out that the abolitionist of slavery called, Rovi, do, uh, called the Dred Scott decision hmm. a covenant with death, an agreement with the grave based on the very same scripture. I had no idea. Wow. So then it goes on. Thus says, so that's what they said. We've made a covenant with death. Nothing's going to reach us. No overwhelming scourge. Remember that word. It'll be very important. No scourge is going to reach us. So then it says, uh, Behold, I laid the Zion a stone, a tested stone, a sure foundation, costly foundation. He who believes will not be disturbed or in a hurry. That's Jesus. But then it says, For I, the Lord, will... Uh, I will make justice the measuring line, righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away the refuge of lies. Waters will overflow the secret place. And your covenant with death will be annulled. The agreement with the grave 
will not stand. That's the prophet Isaiah saying what God's saying to those judges. And it really confirmed for me what I was supposed to do because it said, I will make justice the measuring line. Our motion before the court said, it is no longer just. That was the standard. If Roe is no longer just, it must be set aside. And then the waters overflowing the secret place were confirmation for me. That's the women's testimonies as they fill out these declarations. We created the project right then called Operation Outcry, collecting women's testimonies to show the court that abortion hurts women and every woman that's done them. And we're still collecting them right now. In the most recent case before the Supreme Court, we filed 4,728 of them in the brief. Uh, And then we we are looking to get 10,000 of them. So on our foundation, on the Justice Foundation website, you can, coll- you can click on it and fill out an abortion, how my abortion affected me. So if a center is collecting abortion testimonies, or actually if they're doing abortion recovery, at the end of the abortion recovery, the healing time, they can say, would you like the Supreme Court to know how abortion hurts you? Yeah. And most women do. Yeah. Or would you like other women not to be hurt like you were? Most women say yes. You can fill out this form on the Justice Foundation's website under Operation Outcry and confidentially let the Supreme Court know how the abortion hurt you. The women click a little form that says, I give my permission, and then says, use my full name or initials only. If they haven't told their, parent, their family about it, we say, just give, use your first name or initials. And, uh, but then we hide all their personal contact data, mm-hmm. but we give the story yeah. to the court. And it's been amazing that we've seen victory at the Supreme Court based on the women's testimonies. Uh, what are some of those testimonies that, are you able to read some of those? Yes, I can quote what, what, some what of them. What are some that are, that are common that you see? Uh, here's one, for example, I remember a woman saying, uh, 10 minutes, you'll never have to think about it again. And the woman told me, that's a lie. There's not a day go by. I don't think about it. Mm. Or they'll tell you, oh, it's just a blob of tissue. Mm. I remember a woman said they took a piece of white paper and a pen and put a pen dot on there and said, that's all it is. Mm. And that's a flat lie. Uh, mm. But, you know, it sort of convinced the woman, well, that's nothing. I'll go ahead and go through with this. But again, that woman was devastated by the abortion. The women talk about mm-hmm. suicidal effects. And uh, so we've taken some of these incredible testimonies to the Supreme Court. And in the, remember, we began in about 2007. It's a good thing the Lord said, don't be in a yeah. hurry. We, we got our first major victory in 2007 in the partial birth abortion ban case at the Supreme Court mm-hmm. called Gonzalez v. Carhart. And uh, what the court said in this case, because of the women's testimony, the court said for the first time ever, some women come to regret aborting the infant life they once created and sustained. Severe depression and loss of esteem can follow. Now think about that. Always before they had called it fetus or potential life, never infant life. And why did they do that? Because we know, because the Supreme Court wrote, Mm. some women come to regret aborting the infant life they once created and stained. See brief of Cano et al., page 22 to 24. 
It's cited in the brief. Their evidence, Cano was Sandra, the doe of Dovi Bolted. Et al. is Latin for others. And we, it was 180 women hurt by abortion at that point. That's who they were. Page 22 and 24, it was just the testimonies of women. The women told about suicidal attempts, crying jags, nightmares of aborted babies, inability to bond with their other children, anniversary grief reactions mm. on the yearly anniversary of the baby's uh, death through abortion, uh, drug abuse, alcohol, uh, letting men ab- abuse them because they felt like they were murderers. Yeah. So these are the things that convinced the Supreme Court that it was an infant life. And so if the centers will go to our website at the Justice Foundation and just download the forms or give the site to the women at the healing conference at the end or at the end of the abortion recovery, say you can fill out these forms. Mm -hmm. We give them to courts and legislatures. Like, for example, the state of Arkansas just banned abortion based on our newest project, which is called the Moral Outcry Petition. And if you go to the Justice Foundation website, justicefoundation.org, or Google the Justice Foundation, you'll find the Moral Outcry Petition. And Arkansas just banned abortion on March 9th of this year with a two-thirds majority vote in both houses, ban all abortions except to save the life of the mother. And the reasons that they gave in the law, the legislative findings, which are entitled to great weight, are the reasons of the moral outcry petition. In 2017, a woman named Melinda Tebow called us and said, has anybody ever done a petition to the Supreme Court? And she got this idea in prayer that she was supposed to roll out a petition to the Supreme Court. And I said, no, ma'am, I don't think anybody's ever done that. And she said, can it be done? And I thought a minute, I said, well, it's never been done before, but I think it could be done. Mm-hmm. There's no rule against it. No. And I knew that since I practiced before the Supreme Court, we could probably get it attached to a brief as an appendix, an exhibit. And so we began to collect the testimonies. But we also thought, what are the five reasons, five smooth stones, you might say, mm-hmm. that would really convince the American public and the courts that Roe should be reversed? It's not enough that it was just wrong because in 1992 in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, we had five judges who had written publicly that Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided. And on the day of oral argument, they take a preliminary vote. Five judges voted in private just among the judges that Roe should be reversed. But later, Justice Kennedy voted his, changed his vote and we lost five to four because he said women had come to rely upon abortion. So here's the five reasons under the law of judicial precedent. And it's a bit of a miracle that I could ask you about if you want to ask me about that, why we chose this first one. But abortion is a crime against humanity. It's egregiously wrong. Number two, new evidence since Roe v. Wade shows life begins at conception. DNA came out in the 80s. Sonograms came out in the 90s. Genetic testing came out in the 2000s. In vitro fertilization, 1978. All that science. Then number three is abortion hurts women. The court wanted to help women avoid unwanted children. 
They perhaps didn't know that millions of women would be hurt, but now we do. So the fourth is the safe haven laws in every every state of the nation means that a woman can be free of an unwanted child without killing the baby and hurting herself. And so no woman has to rely on abortion to be free of an unwanted child. And that's our fourth argument. And that's what hurt us in 1992. And it's one of the tests. Well, people have come to rely upon it. Are they going to be hurt? And the answer is no. If, a, if abortion, if the court takes one of these bans on abortion like Arkansas, and you live in a state where abortion is illegal, no woman would have to care for a child. She doesn't want to or she can't. And all she has to do is, in most states, drop it off at a hospital or fire station. And center directors should be telling women about these safe haven laws. It's an alternative to abortion. It's not the best. We want to give the woman the resources to parent and care for the child. So that's the best and even better to bring the father and the mother in, teach them good Carrington skills and let them raise their child together. But that doesn't always work out. So there's a new government safety net. Some people don't want to give their children to, say, the Catholic Church, which I I praise the Catholic Church. They always said, give us your babies. They had a little Project Gabriel. They put a sign up in the church, give us your baby. But some people don't like Catholics. That's their right. They're Americans. I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying the safety net is safe haven. Drop the baby off, safely surrender it, unharmed, within 60 days. We're in Texas taping this. Our law is 60 days at a hospital or fire station. So it's free. You can tell the women... If you don't want to pay for an abortion, you can wait and use the safe haven law. Maybe that's the reason a woman chooses life. Well, right. great. It's her choice. No one can force her to safe haven her baby. It's her choice. And uh, so it's equally available to the rich and the poor. Yep. And it's freely available more places than abortion is performed. There's fire stations in every right. little town and medical clinics everywhere. And you mentioned in addition <laughs> even to the safe haven, adoption is an option that a lot of people don't realize how many people want to adopt. Absolutely, and safe haven, uh, centers are usually familiar with that, yeah. and uh, I think that's great. And in fact, that's the fifth yeah. argument of it. Yeah. Does that mean that all these children, say 600,000 a year that are now aborted, would be in foster care? The answer is no. There are two million families every year waiting to adopt newborn children. And they're not always, the woman may not feel competent to take care of a neglected or abused child, but a woman who hasn't had her own baby says, I want a baby. I can be a good mother. And the father can say, we can do this together. Two million families waiting to adopt, far more than the number of abortions. So the moral outcry reason is, this five reasons again, don't kill the baby, Mm -hmm. don't hurt yourself, give us the baby, so it's mercy for the mother, and we'll give it to the loving homes waiting to adopt newborn children. It's a complete solution to the whole abortion problem. Mm. And that's the moral outcry. And anyone can sign our petition and we'll put their names in our brief. We literally had 539,000 names in our last brief in this Mississippi abortion case. And it's in a drop box. If we printed that brief out, it'd be 11,000 pages long. We have so many names, but we're looking for a million because the more the more, the more severe criticism of it is. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't like abortion and you think it's wrong, tell the Supreme Court it's wrong. It's not campaigning. It's not, you have to give them any money. This is a legal way 
under the law of judicial precedent. Some people say, well, we, don't put, we want them to be above the law. Normally that's true, but under the law of precedent, if a decision's wrong and it's been relied upon and it, people think it's okay, then stability is more important. But if it's really wrong and there's a better way to do something, uh, then we change it. Mm. And clearly, killing children is grievously wrong. It is a crime against humanity. And that's a phrase everybody else start using in the language because you can sign the moral outcry, get other people to sign it, and the more people that sign it, the more weight that adds. It's not like we need a million signatures and they'll automatically do it. This is a, you weigh the matters of the law. And God said, Jesus said, the most important matters of the law are justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And this is, I want to say, I want to thank the pregnancy center directors or any pro-life activists such as you guys. This is justice for the child. It's mercy for the mother. And it's faithfulness of all those who have let, not let this issue die after 48 years. Mm-hmm. We've been faithful to say this is wrong. There are better alternatives like presidency centers. And I just salute everybody who's contributed to or worked in a, a pregnancy resource center. We work with them. The, another way that women get hurt by abortion is once you legalize it, it allows some people, other people, to force the woman to have an abortion to solve their problem. Mm-hmm. And we, as the Justice Foundation on our website, there's a whole set of free legal tools for pregnancy resource centers uh, mm-hmm. called the Center Against Forced Abortion. The three most common types are, number one, adult parents mm-hmm. or the parents of the boy, but adult parents of a girl forcing their daughter to, resort, to abort. Number two is adult male forcing a woman to abort his child. And the third is human trafficking or prostitution. We can, the prostitution, you pretty much have to call the police. But the other two, all of our letters stop about 95% of the forced abortions that we know about them. Just the dear parent letter tells them what you're doing is illegal. And, and if you're a center director or anybody, uh, high school kids can use this at campuses. It's good to distribute among pa- youth pastors because the kids will often hear, hey, did you hear Sally's pregnant? And her parents are making her have an abortion. Well, if you pass this letter out, they can say, that's illegal, that's wrong. Because here's some of the things parents say. Number one is, if you don't have this abortion, I'm kicking you out of my house. Yeah. That violates the duty of family care. Care for your child till they're 18 in every state. Another one is, I don't care what you say. I've made the appointment, we're going down tomorrow, and you're getting that abortion. That's an involuntary abortion. Yeah. And a voluntary abortion is legal because of Roe v. Wade. But if you perform an abortion on a woman without her consent, mm-hmm. even a minor, because of a case called Bilotti v. Baird, uh, the Roe right was extended to teenagers in Bilotti v. Baird. So that's in our letter. It's only a page and a half. It cites a few cases. And it's really easy to understand. Even feminists don't like forced abortions. I have to give Hillary Clinton a credit. She criticized China for its forced abortion policy. And so it, forced abortion is wrong because whose choice is it supposed to be under Roe? Mm-hmm. The woman's choice. And we have a dear police letter because police don't know this. So we have a dear social worker because it took us a couple of years of working in the field. I'll tell you an interesting story. The first young woman mm-hmm. we tried to, try to help. Actually, a couple of women 
called us and, and we'd call their parents up and say, what you're doing is illegal. But one young girl said, no, I'll talk to my parents. I don't want to get a lawyer involved. But she had told me where, when and where the abortion, and she hadn't called me back and said, oh, my mom's changed her mind, I'm okay. So I went to the abortion clinic and I had people praying for me. Hmm. And I'll make up a name, Sally. I, went, I didn't know what she looked like, so I said, Sally, is that you? First one said, no. Sally, is that you? No. Sally, is that you? And the third one, I think, said, yes, that's me. Hmm. I'm Alan Parker. I'm the lawyer that you've been talking with. Can I help you? Because I have to have her permission hmm. to intervene. And she hadn't given me permission yet. She said, I can't fight my mother. But I, no, I don't want this abortion, but I can't fight my mother anymore. That's what she told me first. I don't want this abortion, but I can't fight my mother anymore. And right then her mother came out. She said, who are you? And I said, ma'am, I'm Alan Parker. Why are you doing this? And I said, ma'am, I've talked to too many women yeah. who've been hurt by abortion. I don't want that to happen to your doctor. And she said, I, I, I think I ought to call the police. And I hadn't thought about it. I said, ma'am, I think you ought to. And she took her daughter and stalked off to there. And I, so I called the uh, police right then myself. Wow. That was the first time I'd ever done it or thought about it. And I said, I'm Alan Parker. I'm standing outside an abortion facility. I think there's a forced abortion going on because the young woman told me I don't want the abortion, but I can't fight my mother. So she's not consenting to the abortion. I'll stay here and be a witness. And they came out and stopped the, and when the police came out, said, I'm the witness. They say, we understand. They went in there and they stopped the abortion. Yeah. And they uh, got child protective services involved. So then I thought, well, we need to write all right. this down. That's why we put all this that we've talked about. Right. It's all in letters on our free on our website at thejusticefoundation.org. Wow. wow. So you don't have to be a lawyer to stand up against forced abortion. You're saying like anyone could do that if they see a woman who's being pressured to have an abortion by a boyfriend or, you know, whatever situation. You're, you're calling people to make that stand. I for, am. Anybody can be empowered with the tools that are on our website at the Justice Foundation and even just this knowledge that forced abortion right. is illegal to help. Right. And really just crying out stops it. Yeah. Letting people know their legal rights stops it. Wow. And... And so we, that's why we urge, pass it out in the schools. Oh, and we have a special letter for students. Mm -hmm. Like one of the ways college students are pressured is if they're on scholarship or something as an athlete and they're pregnant, well, we're going to revoke your scholarship if you don't have an abortion. Because, you know, you might not be able to play soccer, though I think somebody in the Olympics just was a mother of many children. And, yeah. you know, we don't have to say it's my baby or my life. No, you can right. have a full life. So anyway, it's right. illegal to discriminate on the basis of sex, that boy athletes don't get this scholarship yeah. if they get a girl pregnant. So there's a dear student letter that helps mm -hmm. and all that's on our website. Wow. And how many abortions have you thwarted through, you think, these letters yearly or? Yeah, we estimate that we are saving 1,000 to 2,000 babies a year. Wow. It's a little hard to know the exact number because this tends to happen in secret at families' homes. Okay. But we've given this literature to 3,000 pregnancy centers across the country. It's endorsed by CareNet, NIFLA, and Heartbeat. And uh, so there's 3,000 centers. We estimate if only one-third use it once a year, yeah. that's 1,000 babies. 
And then when we come to conference centers like this, we happen to be talking at the CareNet conference, hmm. the first group of people that came to our booth walked up smiling and said, there they are, it's the Justice Foundation. We used your material three times to save babies' lives. Hmm. So there's one, that's why I say, many of them use it more than once a year. It's a common problem in America. They, all the centers face this issue because women, families aren't happy when a young girl gets pregnant. We tell the girls, your parents have a right to be mad at you, but they don't have a right, and of course you, they can't abuse you or anything, but mm -hmm. they have a right to be mad, you shouldn't be pregnant, but they don't have a right to force you to have an abortion or to kick you out on the street. And there are many happy, healthy outcomes. If the parents are really upset, you can find a maternity home, a shepherding home for the girl to live in if they're really mad at her. Mm -hmm. But you can find a safe place, but they can't kick her out on the street. Yeah. So we estimate one to 2,000 babies a year, and we've been doing it since 2009, so it's about 15 to 20,000 kids. Wow, that's incredible. It is. And it doesn't take that much time, it sounds like, just, no. just sending the letter. It's not no. A, uh, a um, local pregnancy center could give this to youth pastors, right. too, because they sometimes, the girls will talk mm -hmm. to a youth pastor, mm -hmm. my parents are forcing me to have an abortion. And the answer is not, well, you're young, you need an abortion. No, if she's too young mm -hmm. and she can't parent, it's her choice. That's the other thing. And we have a dear social worker letter yeah. because CPS sometimes think they get to make the decision of what's in the best interest of the child. No, it's her choice. If she wants to hang on to that child, and of course the pregnancy centers will give her all her options. And some of the girls do place their child. But really, if and again, I'm not recommending this, but keeping a baby is far better than killing the child and there's no abortion trauma related again the safe haven is better than killing a child and there's no abortion related trauma now adoption is difficult for a woman uh, the other client we represented in when we started was norma mccorvey the row of roe v wade and everybody mm -hmm. should know that norma mccorvey was pro-abortion she wanted an abortion because she was on her third pregnancy she had one pregnancy and she was on the street and her mother ended up getting custody of that child. Mm -hmm. And then she had a second pregnancy and that child was placed for a, adoption. And there was some pain with adoption. You always wonder, where's that child? Then the third pregnancy, the Roe baby, she just wanted an abortion and be done with it. That's often what women want. I wanna be done with this. I wanna be out of my problem. And that's why they often feel relief initially when it's over. But the same problems that come up if you place a child for adoption, wondering where they are, what's happened to the child, oh, was I a bad mother, why didn't I take care of that child, I wish I had her now, that happens with abortion. That's what the women who give us the 4,000 testimonies we have plus uh, tell me. You wonder, and the grief comes at different phases. You're never over it. Mm -hmm. Maybe your friends, little girls go to first grade, mm -hmm. and you think, oh, my daughter would be. Maybe somebody's had a baby shower, and you think, I'm not going there. I killed my baby. Maybe in high school, at graduation, my child will never graduate. These, and then they, your friends start having grandchildren. You think, I'll never have grandchildren. It's generational destruction, mm -hmm. and it doesn't go away. And there's a, there's a case even in the Eighth Circuit Court. The Eighth Circuit 
has upheld two laws that are very critical. One said they required the abortionist to tell, abortion, to tell the woman abortion is the taking of a life of a separate, living, unique human being. They upheld that law. And the other is you have a greater risk of suicide if you have an abortion. And the, and the court said there's plenty of scientific evidence. That's a true statement. Hmm. So we're saving a lot of babies, but we need more testimonies of women hurt by abortion because if we don't refute the lie of the abortion right. industry with truthful testimony, the lie wins. Mm. So we need more testimonies. What do you think the, the barriers for getting those testimonies are for the women? Do you think a lot of them, it's completely anonymous as you stated, like their personal information. Are they they're afraid of just sharing it? Is there a fear element? Or they just don't know about it, that this is an option? Or what do you think? Uh, the first thing is fear of even <laughs> touching the issue of abortion in yeah. their mind. Okay. One of the ways we cope as human beings is denial. Yeah. We stuff it. But particularly when you've injured your conscience, it doesn't stay down. Mm. And it comes out hurting you in other ways. So sometimes when the pain gets bad enough, you'll go and get help. Yeah. So there's fear. In our churches, for example, yeah. they don't want to be viewed as one of those evil people. Yeah. Uh, so they put on a smile, as the women tell me. And again, everything I know comes from women. Mm -hmm. uh, so even women won't sign up for abortion recovery. So the best way to get around that is let women who've gone through abortion recovery tell their testimonies in church. Then that they know mm -hmm. my church isn't con condemning women. No. They're offering healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. The women talk about what a radical change it makes in their life. And Though for, if you tell these stories among the youth group, it will hopefully keep some of the girls from engaging in premarital sex. But if they do, many girls drop out of, the, of their youth groups because they've gotten pregnant, they've had an abortion, they feel like God can't forgive them, right. and they can't ever go back to church. Yeah. Youth pastors, or if you're thinking, why did that girl leave? She may have had sexual mm -hmm immorality and then an abortion and she doesn't feel worthy anymore of being in church. So you need to offer the forgiveness often. Yeah. And I would imagine that the women who've had abortions that give their testimonies about how it's really hurt them, it's, it's, I would imagine that that's a very powerful and therapeutic and healing thing for them to that, get that out there. That's exactly have, what have the women found say. And, and to help others go through it is healing. So many of the women well, who, particularly who've started abortion recovery programs, did it because they couldn't find help anywhere else. They mm -hmm. turned to the Bible, the scriptures. They found this confessing my sin to others. Mm -hmm. Like the Bible says, confess your sin one to another. Or Psalm 32, mm -hmm. when I held on to my sin, mm -hmm. my bones burned within me. Yeah. Today, it's the bones that build up your immune system and that heal mm -hmm. your body. If you and, and guilt produces sickness. You, I mean, that's, you know, it's not that every sin produces a sickness, but the grief weighing on you can produce illnesses. And anyway, it, it can produce that feeling of depression. Many, many women are massively depressed because abortion is the most common elective surgery in America. And so many women are walking around thinking, I don't have any problems but they, they lose confidence in their own ability to make a decision. Mm -hmm. They feel worthless, so they allow men to abuse them, and, and yet they just think, I deserve it. They don't look for help, and so it's a very deep wound. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, 
So are there, are there any other ways that you can think of that uh, pregnancy centers and all, all pro-life you know, organizations and people can support the work of Justice Foundation? You mentioned the petitions, of course, signing up for that. Um, you also mentioned that um, having the pregnancy centers offer the letters to, you know, to the women who might be forced to have abortions. Are there other, other ways? Well, I um, wouldn't normally make this appeal. It's not an right. appeal because all of our services are free to pregnancy resource centers. Yeah. They don't have to pay anything for anything we do. If somebody else is listening to it that just wants to make a contribution, they can always contribute uh, on the Justice Foundation website too. We are a 501c3 and because there are other donors out there. But two things, we never ask the women who've given us for testimonies for any donation. Mm. We don't even send them donation letters. And we don't ask pregnancy centers for any money because we're their lawyers. So we provide all of our legal services for free. But, um, you know, really we're here to help the centers through Mm. preventing forced abortion, Mm-hmm. and through uh, collecting the testimonies of women hurt by abortion. And then anybody can sign the moral outcry. And mm-hmm. every signature is by itself evidence under the law of precedent that Roe v. Wade should be reversed. So right now we have over a half a million. Our goal is a million by the end of this year. But we'd like to have two million the year because the more we collect... If right now, if everybody who has already signed it would get 10 people to sign it, we'd have 5 million, I think, if I, my math's correct. Uh, there would be 5 mm-hmm. million, or be, maybe 2.5 million. Anyway, it, it can multiply as it grows. And I'm a lawyer, not yeah. a mathematician. Yeah. I would never make an accountant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Are, so what, are there any specific pamphlets, or what's the best way that pregnancy centers and other individuals can share you know, what's going on with the Justice Foundation? Um, Well, right in the short term, they can stop forced abortions. And on our website is all the documents and a one-hour free training session. And if they want to call us and have us do a live one, we'll do that for them. But they can just watch it during lunch with all the staff. Uh, That's the best. The Operation Outcry form, How My Abortion Hurt Me, can be filled out online. Mm -hmm. So go to the website and they can find that. And... uh, then the moral outcry petition, you sign it online, and then the social media buttons are on it mm-hmm. where you can email it to all your friends or share it on your Facebook or Instagram, TikTok, whatever you're doing these days, yeah. and uh, share because yeah. anybody can sign it. And right. the more that sign it, the more likely the court is to think, yes, they're right, and yes, there are millions of America, and now we can help women, which what we, is what we wanted to do, with a better alternative that doesn't kill the baby or hurt the woman, let's do this. Let's reverse it. It's a major change. We don't make this lightly as a Supreme Court, and they shouldn't. But with, after carefully considering all these five reasons, it is a crime against humanity. Mm-hmm. And the court, I believe Justice John Roberts will say, the court did the best job it could in 1973. He'll say this, but even the court itself said, at this state in the development of man's knowledge, we don't know when life begins. Now we do. And I'll go back to that scripture I gave earlier about the overwhelming scourge will not reach us. That's the boast of the judges who killed the children. The last time the Supreme Court held an actual oral argument was the Louisiana hospital admitting abortion case. Mm -hmm. 
And right after that, the scourge, the overwhelming scourge. A scourge is a biblical term for a pestilence or a disease. And the next week after the Louisiana case, which they did not rule in favor of Louisiana, the pro-life side, the court was shut down. They have not had an oral argument. It has not been open to the public since. And that's over a year now. And we don't know if in October they'll be open because there's morning after morning, day after day is one of the scriptures says mm. this scourge is going to hit people. So I think we're going to get more variants. Yeah. And it, the, I, God is a God of justice and God judges people. Praise God that Jesus became the justice of God for us mm. by paying the penalty for our sin. Mm. I have a little video called is, is abortion the unforgivable sin? The answer is no. The only unforgivable sin is kind of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is telling someone now what you did was wrong, ask God for forgiveness, then you need to just say, God, I was wrong. I had an abortion. I paid for an abortion as a man. I forced a woman to have an abortion. I, part I took my daughter. It's wrong. God will forgive us. And you can have eternal life through Jesus Christ if you ask him to be your Lord which is an old-time term for boss. You want Jesus to be the boss of your life. You want to give your life to him. Say, Jesus, I'm, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I want to you to be the boss of my life. I want to follow you from this day forward. Help me to do right. And if you mean that with all your heart, then you'll be born again. The Holy Spirit will come in you and help give you power to do the right things you never could have done on your own. Turn from your sin, embrace God, and like the women who've gone through abortion recovery, who've filled out the affidavits, that's not necessary for salvation, but they've just confessed their sins, uh, you'll be forgiven and set free. That's the name of one of the famous hmm. programs, you know, forgiven and set free. You'll feel better than you ever had in your life. You'll be born again and the Spirit of God will live inside you. You'll be a miracle woman. And if God leads you, you might become a healer, someone who shares the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and he's the healer. You can see women healed. We need a great healing movement. And I want to thank all of you who are doing for abortion recovery. Get ready for a big breakthrough, because more women are going to be hearing about it over this next year. When they hear about abortion, they hurt. Get the word out in your community that you do abortion recovery Women are coming quicker for re re relief than they did years ago. It might be 10 years. Women are more willing to talk about things. Get on the websites and let them know you're available. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for, you. for speaking and, and uh, being with us. We appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you for all you guys do, getting the word out. It's an honor to be with you today. Yeah.